you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 26, that'll be where we where we start. Uh, but before we begin, always we start with a word of prayer uh, to get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. And spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so we have to go in front of the throne of grace and ask that the Holy Spirit will indeed be our teacher because things can be learned academically and not not embraced or understood spiritually. And we want the spiritual understanding of what, what God has placed in front of us. It is always important to do that. It's always important to prepare, try to clear our mind of all the mess that's going on in the outside world as this is just a good time to feed on the Word. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your blessings, for your tests, for your opportunities. We thank you for your grace and for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to take your place on a cross that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And, Father, we are indeed so amazingly blessed. And, Father, I just pray that you would be with each and every one of us today, help us to understand your word, and then be able to spiritually apply it in a way that honors and glorifies you. For we pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're at, uh, we've been going through, galloping through Genesis here, looking at the fourth divine institution, the first one being volition, the ability to make decisions and the responsibility for those decisions we make. As we know, we're studying this because all four of these institutions are under direct assault right now by Satan and his forces. Uh, his uh, forces are manifested in a lot of different ways, but they are uh, they, they go after your ability to decide. They blame everybody else. It's always your environment or poor potty training or whatever it was along the way. It's always something besides your problem. Well, our decisions are uh, emanate from our souls, and that's what what comes out. And so we make the we make the decisions and we bear the consequences for them. Second divine institution is husband and wife. That's under massive assault right now. And we find in Genesis 3, God establishing uh, the husband and wife. Actually, Genesis 2. And so we find Genesis is the book of beginnings. If you want to find out how things began... And therefore, to find the pattern that God established for us, you start right there in the book of Genesis. Why is it one of the most attacked parts of the scripture uh, found anywhere? And that is because it it is very clear. It is very clear that God started and established these things. This is the way he wanted, wanted them. He, uh, in Genesis 1, with the, the earth and putting it all together, he looked on it and he said, this was good. And he said, this was good. And this was good. So we find that this is the way God established it. You find throughout the course of history, when people start allegorizing the book of Genesis, when does it stop? Well, you start allegorizing it. You can read into it anything that you want to read into. And the next thing you know, you're so far away from God's stated will that, that you can't identify that you can't identify the truth. So here we are in the book of Genesis. 
And we are looking at his will concerning uh, marriage, his will concerning families, and out of families come nations. We see that established in Genesis 10. And then we find we're studying nations. Now, what is God's view about nations? And we just keep going through the book of Genesis, and we find out what he, how he put them together, how he established them. Where, how are they evaluated? What is the standard? And one of the standards is, what do you think of Israel? I mean, what do you think of Israel as a nation, as an individual? It is that which is established by God. And what we've been doing is going through uh, the book of Genesis, which started in Genesis 12 with the establishment of Abraham and the call of Abraham and how he established the nation of Israel as his primary nation. And he says, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And so as you follow this through, you find out that really in a, in a big way, the world revolves around Israel so, and, and the Jews and his chosen people. And where did this come from? Because as you know, the Jews have been under uh, amazing attack. It's only by the grace of God they're still here. Have they messed up? Obviously they have messed up. But God still has a place for them because he's made a lot of promises to them that are not yet fulfilled. Some big promises to Abraham. He said, I'll give you from the, river, from the Euphrates River to the river of Egypt. They've never owned that piece of property. They've never had possession of that any time. So God's uh, integrity is on the line. His accuracy is on the line. His omniscience is on the line. There's a lot of things on the line. And then some people get cute and they say, well, the church replaced Israel. Excuse me. Uh, Romans 9 through 11, if you read it, you find out, no, the church didn't replace Israel. Israel is Israel, and the church is the church. They are distinct entities, and um, you learn that in hermeneutics. You keep separate what God keeps separate, and you, you see the connections where God makes the connections. That's what we're, what we're taught to do. Part of why we're going through this is how do, how do you put things together? When you start to study the word of God. And this is what we're doing is letting the scripture teach us and talk to us. And we've saw that uh, we're now at point I about uh, Abraham's obedience. It'll bless all nations. Abraham's obedience will bless all of, of the nations. We see that uh, Genesis 26.5 is one of those passages that I think God put in here for young seminary students. Or graduates. And they start going through this and they see this passage because we're taught to do word studies. We're taught in seminary to do word studies. Do this topical study on this word and tell me what the word means. That's, a, that's the way the assignments uh, run. And to do that, they expect you to look up every usage of the word and account for every usage of the word when you put together a so-called doctrine or a topical study on that particular thing, like uh, the word love. You look up every passage that love is mentioned. You come to understand what it means. You categorize it. You see how it's used, and that's how you, how you identify it. Now, we are going through, uh, when we're going through Genesis, we want to follow the line of progressive revelation, how God revealed himself. And Genesis started there with Abraham. Of course, we know about Isaac, and, the, and the, we know the last point we covered from the line of Isaac would come two nations. One, a group of believers, primarily not all of them, 
and one a group that was not believers, primarily, not all of them. There were those uh, Edomites, if you will, that became believers. They were part of the redeemed, uh, just like there were part of the, the line of uh, Jacob that never became believers, and they died, and they perished. So uh, from, they would come two nations. Now, where is the line of promise? The line of promise is Isaac. And what you find in a lot of the Arab nations surrounding Israel right now, all of them really think that inheritance should be theirs. They think that they got cheated out of things. And especially that, that line of, of Esau, the Edomites that came out of that, because Esau was the firstborn to Isaac. And um, somehow Jacob stole it. Well, was it God's will, not God's will? It was God's will, not the way we went about it. Uh, lying, cheating, and stealing is not part of God's will. But God used it in spite of, of Jacob. Now, <clears throat> Abraham's obedience will bless all nations. And why I started talking about this verse and why I went on the rabbit trail was because we're taught to do word studies. And so it says, And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. That's one of the blessings of Abraham, sexual prosperity. The three main blessings, real estate, sexual prosperity, and line of Messiah. And so here is the, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now see, it's not just the surrounding. It says all the nations of the earth. So all over the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me. Who's he? He's talking to Isaac. And he's saying, I'm going to give this to you, Isaac. But why am I giving this to you? Because of your daddy. Your daddy followed. He, he obeyed me. Hearken to my voice. Literally is what obey means. And he kept my charge. Now this is the word mishmaret. And so the first time I went through this and was doing my exegesis, and I look up Mishmaret. And guess what? That's the first usage of the word Mishmaret. Mishmaret. So when I'm looking at this, I always want to look. He kept my charge. What charge? Where did it say what Abraham's charge was earlier? It doesn't. And then it got, <laughs> then the plot got thicker. He kept my charge, my commandments, my mitzvah. Mitzvah is a word that emphasizes the obedience to the authority. It's more of the mental type of thing. My statutes is more of the tangible, practical thing. That's the word coke that is used there. And it is a word that looks more at the specific instances. And uh, laws is just an extension of that. Torah. You don't find any of those words earlier. You don't find them in Abraham's life. And yet, why was Abraham blessed? Because he did all that. So you go back into Abraham's life and, and think, what fit these things? He kept my charge. Now, charge encompasses commandments, statutes, and laws. It's the generic term that encompasses the attitude of obedience, the specifics when God gave something, he carried it out, and the Torah, the laws that he set and established. So what did, did he do? Now, we know he made some mistakes. Abraham was not known for full obedience, but in overall, about Abraham's life, 
He believed God and it was imputed to him as righteousness. So all those mistakes were covered. God covered them. Now, his obedience will bless all the nations. Up until the point of time that Abraham complied, parts of that covenant were still conditional. And you can follow it through his life. Because when you get to Genesis uh, 12, you have it laid out. But Genesis 15 is where he gets the uh, sexual prosperity part of it. He first gets the land part, then the sexual prosperity part. And chapter 22, after the sacrifice of Isaac, he gets the line of the Messiah, guaranteed to go through him. So they're all conditional to him until he complies with them. And then they become unconditional. Now his descendants, if they want to share the blessings of Abraham, they have to believe too. They have to comply. That's the way that it is done. So Abraham's obedience is going to bless all of the nations. But individual Jews and individuals of that line, they have to comply or they're not going to share in the blessing. Now Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, competed for a blessing from their father. From Genesis 27. Now this is one of those wonderful passages that you... That you uh, go through and and uh, <laughs> and he came into his father Genesis 27:18 and he said my father and he said here I am who are you my son and Jacob said to his father I am Esau your firstborn just lied flat out lied I have done as you told me get up please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. So he told Esau to go get some game and prepare it because Esau was a hunter and Jacob really wasn't. Jacob was a hairy guy and Esau was smooth, or Esau was a hairy guy and Jacob was smooth. And so he says, go get it and bring it to me. And Isaac heard about it. Rebecca heard about it. His mom was in on it. And they said, no, that's not the way it should be. So they, they uh, figured out this con is what they did. And Isaac said to the son, thinking it was Esau, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son. Are you really Esau or not? So Jacob came close to his father and he felt him and he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. See, because he put on some woolly stuff. He put on some hairy clothing. So he would kind of feel like Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said, Are you really my son, Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I might bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. He brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord had blessed. I mean, Rebecca and Isaac had this worked out, didn't they? They knew exactly what daddy was going to ask for, what he was going to do. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. 
Many pe- may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. So he passed it on to Jacob thinking it was Esau. Esau later came in. It's interesting the way things happen because Esau later came in. We're not going to read the rest of the chapters that go with this. But Esau came in later and he was ready for this blessing and he said, and, and Isaac just about fell apart. But Isaac also realized that, he, that, that the blessing should go to Jacob, not to Esau. Esau was not a believer and that the line should, have, should go through believers. And so he refused to remove the blessing from uh, Jacob and he left it there uh, that was a mistake that Isaac made and uh, yet it was a mistake that God knew about if we study the plan of God and the way God works together all of his plan it includes for all the good decisions bad decisions all the righteous acts all the unrighteous acts he knows what we're going to do and he still brings about his plan so they competed for a blessing from their father, their father Isaac. Now, Jacob, boy, he was, a, he was a wrestling guy, wasn't he? See, the kids wrestled in the womb. Remember that? They fought in the womb. And one of them came out, and the other one, and it was kind of, a, and one of them got the, the string tied on their finger and all that. I mean, it was a, it was a battle to go uh, from, from before they were actually born. And Jacob wrestled with the Lord to receive a blessing. And the Lord changed his name to Israel. I'm sure you remember that. These are the passages when you read through the book of Genesis. You go, wow, this is really cool. This is really neat. And it says, uh, Genesis 35, they'd wrestled all night long. Remember, they had fought. They had battled. They had gone after it uh, with each other. And it was the, the angel of the Lord and Jacob. And what was he yelling for? Give me a blessing. Give me a blessing. Give me a blessing. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. It sh- you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And thus he called him Israel, which means to wrestle with God. Yitzrael, it, El means God, the Yitzar on the front of it is to wrestle. God to him said to him, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Now when you start thinking about what was, what was said there, he just told Jacob, you're going to be called Israel. Why? You contended with God for a blessing. And you got it. Sometimes people don't get close enough to God to want a blessing from him. They're just trying to avoid him and stay away from him. And he wrestled with God all night long till God said, that's enough. Dislocated his hip and uh, went from there. I mean, it really wasn't a fair wrestling match. But he let, he let Jacob, I guess, uh, vent all of his whatever. And he says, I, I want a blessing. God said, okay. He, he wrestled with him. He changed his name to Israel. God told Jacob to go to Egypt. Now, 
A nation shall come forth from you, and a company of nations. Now, how many kids did Jacob have? At least twelve. Twelve boys. And then he had a couple of girls that we know of. So, here is the, the twelve boys that come out. They all become individual nations. Separate nations. A company of nations shall come forth from you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. So, who is, where is God's focus? It's on the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob. That's where his focus is. And how does he evaluate other nations? Their attitude and their blessing toward Israel. Now that's what's established. Why is Israel under such attack today? Why has it been throughout the course of its history? This we're talking, he's talking to uh, Jacob here in the 1600s B.C. And so uh, Israel becomes a nation. And then they, uh, where did they first become this nation? Well, God told Jacob to go to Egypt. Where he would make, uh, where he would become a great nation. In Genesis 46, they were just tracking it through Genesis. Because what we're going to be able to find is that he is going to give principles to uh, Israel that should guide all the nations. I mean, if you're going to bless Israel, then you want to do the things that Israel's told to do. Not try to tear them up and destroy them and all of those things. It says, So Israel set out with all he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. I, I love that when you see that. You don't see this very often when God talks to people. But you see it, you see it here. You saw it with Abraham earlier. We didn't cover all the passages today. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, they, and God called to. They knew it was God. And they said, here am I. Isaiah said the same thing. I need someone to stand in the gap. Here am I. What? Send me. Well, he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. This is Jacob he's talking to. For I will make you a great nation there. What had happened? Joseph, see, his, his loving brothers had sold him to a caravan. And they took him into Egypt. Took Joseph. Now, Joseph was, was quite obviously Jacob's favorite son. The rest of them he put up with. But Joseph was the firstborn out of Rachel. And Rachel is the one that said he loved Rachel. And we could go back through the story of Laban and how he worked for seven years for uh, Laban and, and uh, then got Jacob drunk and they had this big wedding feast and he sent Leah, Rachel's sister, into the tent. I think one of the most shocking verses in the Bible is when and Jacob awoke the next morning and behold, it was Leah. And so he had to work seven more years to get Rachel. And Laban said, well, the firstborn's the one that goes. That's just the way it is. That's just that's the way it's got to be. And so, anyway, Jacob did. God transferred all of Laban's wealth into Jacob's hand. 
And in the middle of the night, like the warrior he was, he set out to escape Laban. And so, anyway, <laughs> here is uh, here here is Jacob. Uh, there, there's other stories about Jacob too, but anyway, he had the twelve kids. He had the, he had the four the Jacob, Leah, and the the two concubines, and had twelve kids out of, out of the uh, that group. And he said, uh, "Go down to Egypt. I'll surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes." Now, see, he thought Joseph was dead. And when you work the chronology, it's over ten years. The brothers had deceived their dad and said a wild animal had tore him up and caught him out in the field and all that when they threw him in the pit. And then Judah interceded. Interesting thing that Judah interceded. And he interceded and they sold him instead of leaving him there to die. So these were, these were his loving brothers that was there. And they had gone to get grain because there was a famine in the land. And, and Joseph uh, revealed himself. And it about shook them to the core. It should have. And Joseph is prime minister of Egypt at this point in time. And he says, come and bring dad. Bring everybody. Come on down here because I'll give you protection. And Jacob was hesitant to do that. Because the, the brothers came back and said, Joseph is alive. What? Can you imagine that after 10 years? Joseph is alive. He says, you go down to Egypt. He says, Joseph will close your eyes. So, that was a confirmation to Jacob that his son was still alive and that it was the right thing to do to go to Egypt. And Jacob arose from Beersheba, the sons of Israel, carried their father Jacob their little ones and their wives in their wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan. And they came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, granddaughters, all his descendants. And he brought with him to Egypt. There's 70 of them went in to Egypt. It says 70 souls went in to the land of Egypt. Kind of interesting where you find the, find the number 70. Uh, hmm. Anyway, what did Egypt do under Joseph? They blessed the Jews and they multiplied and they were over two million a couple of hundred years later when they walked out of Egypt. Blessed them tremendously. They became a great nation. It's interesting that those who played a role in Israel's history on the positive side and blessed Israel or turn to Israel's God, they're going to have a prominent place in the millennial kingdom because Egypt will. Land of Egypt. Can you imagine the land of Egypt as messed up as it is right now and as messed up as it has been for so long throughout all their history and yet they had a positive role there for a period of time so the Jews could become a nation and God remembers that. How about Assyria? Assyria, some of the meanest people that ever walked the planet. Honestly, the study of the Assyrian history is a history of, of bad guys, is what it is. But you remember a period of time, about a hundred crazy men got swallowed by a fish? What happened? 
He went in to Nineveh, capital city, evangelized. <laughs> this, is, this is a crazy evangelist. And by the way, Franklin Graham's going to be on the south lawn of the Capitol today, so be in prayer that the gospel comes out clearly. Our Capitol today, not the United States Capitol, delivering a message. So pray the gospel gets out there and Christ be honored and glorified. And that it not be an opportunity for the evil ones to move in and try to disrupt, which is quite a possibility. But think about the evangelist Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go. We know the story. He didn't want it. We learned it back in, in Sunday school a long time ago. He didn't want to go. And God put him there. And he was going to destroy Assyria. And Jonah hated the Assyrians because they weren't nice people. And he didn't want to give them the gospel. And then he thought, you know, the best thing I can do is go give them the gospel because they're not going to believe it. That's chapter 4. And they're not going to believe it. And God's going to kill them. I know the best thing I can do for them to get them out of my life is give them the gospel. And he went walking through the streets of Nineveh and they believed. <laughs> and that's why Jonah's sitting out on that hill so upset in the fourth chapter of the book. How much longer did Assyria last? 140 years. Wow. Before they were defeated by the Babylonians. You know what? The Assyrians are going to have a prominent place in the millennial kingdom. When you read, who's going to be around there? So it's it's interesting. Assyria went once with the Rob Shaka Ezekiah, and he said, "Our God sent your God sent us." Remember that passage from reading through that your God sent us. Uh, sometimes he uses a whip nation to get their attention because he has standards that he expects to be followed. Now, <clears throat> two of Israel's of Joseph's sons. Ephraim and Manasseh. See, line of Messiah, when, when, when Jacob called all these guys together in Genesis 49, he did not give the rights of the firstborn to one. He divided up the rights of the firstborn. Rights of primogenitor, it's called. And the rights of primogenitor in the ancient world involved the priesthood of the family. It involved a double blessing. Okay, and that's what the, the rights of primogenitor would involve. And what did he do? He spread them out. The double blessing went to Joseph. The line of Messiah went to Judah. And the priesthood went to Levi. I guess he had a predisposition for herding animals because he and his, his brother Simeon hamstrung an ox just for fun. And uh, and Jacob got all over them for that. But he thought, well, he'll be able to handle it. Some of the others might not be able to handle all that much blood and gore, but Levi could. And Levi would have some great people come out of the line of Levi. Seems like I remember one named Moses. Anyway, two of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, became great nations. And this was from Joseph's Egyptian wife. So they were half Egyptian that were part of the blessing that was that was grafted in, if you will, into Israel. Genesis 48, and Joseph saw that his father laid his hand on Ephraim's head. 
See, because Manasseh was the firstborn. And it displeased him. But what had happened to uh, Jacob? He was not the firstborn, was he? Esau was. He got the blessing. And evidently he saw something in Ephraim that was better than Manasseh. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, this is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused. And he said, I know, my son, I know. He will also become a people and be great. However, his younger brother, Ephraim, shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So look at out of the Jews, you have multiple nations that come out of um, the twelve sons. And he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel shall pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. He moved him. Now, Israel was clearly warned about disobedience to their God. Now, we're going to move out of Genesis now. If we go through Exodus, we're all pretty familiar with that book because that's the, uh, they, the, you know, Charlton Heston played Moses, and they made a movie about it. So all of us know the book of Exodus inside out, and we're ready to move forward, except it was not, uh, not his wife Zipporah that he was with on the hill before God took him. Uh, she was gone already. It was the Ethiopian princess that he had uh, married with him there, and Zipporah was already passed. Anyway... Little historical notes. They had some historical notes that were wrong, but they tried to do a good job on a lot of it. And <clears throat> we move through Exodus, and Leviticus is a picture of the priesthood. First seven chapters deal with with uh, offerings primarily. The first five are the burnt offering, gift offering, peace offering, sin offering, and trespass offering. And they teach different elements. They teach different things about um, the offerings, how they're supposed to be done. If you look at the word Coke statutes, that's what you get is a whole batch of statutes. This is how you do the offerings to please me. Because God put those in as a test of obedience. Now, when we get to Leviticus, that's what we find. And you go through and you get all the stuff about how should the high priest dress. What does it mean? Uh, you get instructions on the feast found in the book of Leviticus. You get a whole bunch of, of specific instructions. Then you get to Leviticus 26. And it almost sounds like it should fit into Deuteronomy a little bit better. Because when you get to Leviticus 26, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but there are it's been called and identified as five cycles of discipline on Israel. God is a, a gracious God, slow to anger. He, uh, he can be pushed to the point of wrath, which the Jews managed to do more than once in their life. But there is the five cycles of discipline. I think you can identify them fairly well. If you want to say there's four, six, or seven, you're fine. Go ahead and do that. But that's, that's what I've been able to see. And what happens is when they start going astray, God basically taps them on the shoulder. Okay? And he does it with different forms of discipline. And it involves weather, crops, all kinds of things. He, and then if they continue to do that, 
then he, they get stronger. The warnings get stronger. But if always, if they turn from their ways, he will hear their prayer, he will heal their land, that's what he does. That's what he wants. That's why he's giving them the, giving them the grace. And he continues to do that when it hits the fifth cycle. They've gone too far. If they don't make the changes that are required, then they get spread out. They get dispersed. They get sent into other parts of, of the land. And it happened to them more than once. What happened to the northern kingdom? Northern kingdom is all the tribes except uh, Judah and Benjamin. Now the, the northern tribes that were up there, the ten tribes, that's called the northern kingdom. In 721, the Assyrians dispersed them, sent them out of their land, run them out of their land. And then the southern kingdom, they thought, well, we must be great. God has smiled on us because he's left us here. Not like what happened to our brothers. And they didn't listen to the prophets that were telling them, if you don't straighten out, he's going to do the same thing to you. And he did. And they ended up in exile in Babylon for 70 years from 586 to 516. So the southern kingdom was dispersed. And then they gradually came back. And that's where you track through uh, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, that particular period of time, the rebuilding of the city after being sacked by the, the uh, Babylonian armies. And uh, it's built back. And it says, after the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And we know when it was, March 5th, 444 B.C. We know the exact date that, that that decree came from Artaxerxes. There shall be, and then we get Daniel 70 weeks. See that 70 popping in there again? Daniel 70, 70 weeks of years, 490 years. And it's been calculated that on the very day that the Lord rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, that was the end of the 69th week. After the 69th week, Messiah shall be cut off, which was a term for capital punishment. Okay? And there was a period of time. The 70th week is still not yet happened. But <clears throat> these five cycles of discipline are there. Now, they are specifically given to Israel. And in a way, that is such a blessing of grace. But... Would they apply? Could they apply to other peoples that maybe once called God their God and then turned away? Not by interpretation, but very possibly by application. It could. We're on dangerous ground. You know, we look now. We look now. What's going on in the weather? Oh, the weather! The weather! The weather! Climate change. I beg to differ. I think it's God getting our attention. We've seen weird stuff go on, have we not? What is it? Too much carbon in the atmosphere? Or is it God getting our attention? I prefer God getting our attention or trying to. We don't serve or worship, should not, Mother Nature. We should serve and worship Father God. And he's trying to say, I'm the one in charge here. You are not. You can't save the planet. You don't have the power to do it. You didn't have the power to create it. What makes you think you can save it? And he's trying to get our attention. Yet, 
what do we do? Go merrily on our way like a bunch of, of um, I don't think you can say idiots. That's politically incorrect. Stupid people, that probably falls in the same thing. Uninformed. I mean, there's a whole batch of adjectives you can use there to try to find one that is politically correct to use. But it is foolishness is what you can say quite clearly. Now, God established principles of conduct for all nations through Israel. As I went through this, and I kept looking at, well, when do you do war? I mean, there's, there's not, not any instructions in the New Testament about war. Other than the, the book of Revelation, you find war going on all the time. You find there'll be wars and rumors of wars. When do you conduct a righteous war? When are such things as that done? Well, where do the principles come from? The Old Testament. Many have said, well, they come out of the Old Testament, so they're not valid for us. But what if, if you see this, that God said, this is the way I want Israel to do things, and you extract the principles that go there. The, the nations are mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord is, after the book of Numbers, which is what happened in the wilderness, okay? How foolish can people get? That's the wilderness wanderings. Forty years out there in the wilderness, watching God work Literally every day. Six days for manna, one day, last of the six days, double manna, nothing on the seventh day, and watch that for 40 years. Watching the same clothes that you have not wear out. Wondering where all this food came from to feed a couple of a million people. I mean, there's, there's things that were obvious every day when they woke up. And still, they complained. Same old clothes. I've been wearing these clothes since Egypt. I've had these on for 39 years. Wah, 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 wah. Because that's Hebrews 4. They griped, complained. They mumbled and grumbled. That's what they did. Now, <clears throat> in the book of Deuteronomy, nations are mentioned 46 times. And I thought the best way to try and understand some key principles about nations and their relationship to Israel is to see what God told Israel was pleasing to him and what wasn't. Because these principles, a lot of the principles are super cultural. Now some of the specifics you have to pay attention to because they're only for that particular culture and that time frame. But what transcends culture and dispensation? Okay, And I believe our founding fathers understood that quite well quite well they were able to go back and see one this is we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights now they they understood some principles where did they come from they had to come out of the old testament now to use the law in a legitimate way because we're going back into what is called the law the first five books of the bible although not or not all are spelled out as a statute or a commandment but they come come in the sense of of laws that are there to use it in a, in a legitimate way you have to identify what's cultural and find the specific now <clears throat> this is part of, of good hermeneutics rules of interpretation and learning how to use and apply them uh, honestly Exodus 34:26 is just an example it's an example that says you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk a kid being a baby goat, not a human child. Okay? 
Why would you have a commandment like that? And when you read Exodus 34, you're going, where did this come from? Commentators did it for years. They would go, where did this come from? And they finally found enough historical information to know that that was a practice of the Canaanites. It was a fertility ritual. So to boil a baby goat in its mother's milk was a fertility ritual for the Canaanites. Okay, so that's a specific. Don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. What's the principle? Don't get involved in pagan practices. See, that transcends cultures, transcends dispensations. It's a, and to me, it's a prime example of, of identify what is cultural and specific and identify what is dispensational and realize the Lord changed the specifics. Dispensational things would be things like offerings. See, and the offerings, that's a dispensational issue because they brought it, they were required to bring the, the, bull, the, the blood of bulls, goats, etc., lambs. They were required, and they were required to sacrifice in a specific way. I mean, the, the, the hand of the offerer had to be on the, on the uh, offering itself during one of those offerings. There were specific commandments, laws, statutes given for specific, specific events concerning those offerings. We don't bring those animal offerings. We bring ourselves. We're the offering. Romans 12. So you have to identify what is culturally specific or dispensationally specific. And then you have to find out what is the principle that overrides all that. Because all those are examples. They're examples. It tells us that in Hebrews 10. That these are merely a shadow of of the things that, that are to come. These are a shadow. They're a picture. So what are they picturing? What are they, what are they telling us? Now, obedience to the Lord in principle and prescribed specifics is what makes one a great nation. And here's the, the first one we're going to look at today in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And you remember the Genesis 26 passage we started with this morning? Abraham kept his charge, his commandments, his statutes, and his laws. Deuteronomy chapter 4. See, he's talking to the nation of Israel. Moses' last sermons. I have taught you statutes and judgments. Just as the Lord my God commanded me. That you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. For that is your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? They're saying no other nation has got that. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today? Moses is telling him. He's saying you have something that is over and above and supersedes what any nation on earth has. How many nations were there, by the way, that went out from the table of nations? Seventy. 
That number keeps coming up, doesn't it? Just keeps coming up. Obedience to the Lord in principle and prescribed specifics is what makes one a great nation. Now this next point is a good place to, we'll, we'll look at these verses next week. But doing evil in the sight of the Lord is reason for the destruction of any nation. And that's your overriding principle. Doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Not evil by the way that nation defines it. Because that nation will rationalize evil to the point you think it doesn't even exist. That's what they do. But what does God say is evil? When we do evil in the sight of the Lord, it's reason for the destruction of any nation. And that's one thing to think about is any... What are the nations of the world doing right now? There's not a lot of righteous nations. We at once were close to it at at one time, but we have fallen off the truck here. We have decided that that uh, politics and partiality is the way to go. That's not righteous. Nothing righteous about that at all. This is where we'll get it next week. Conduct prescribed for Israel teaches us principles by which all nations should abide. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and love. We thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us what you have done throughout the course of history, how you have made Israel, the apple of your eye. And Father, even though they have been disobedient and unbelief and all that, you still have a plan for them. There's still those of the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that are getting saved. And Father, we thank you for We pray there'll be more, a lot more, that will come to you in the coming days. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.